Sunday will be a communion Sunday. This morning, if you turn your attention to the Word of God and again to First Timothy chapter 1 as we finish up this amazing chapter in a study that I've entitled this morning, Keeping It Real. I love these next few verses. And the reason I love these next few verses, and I want to put it in context for you, Paul is now reaching out to the end of his time in ministry. If you've been with us in the study in the book of Acts, we're out there, the latter part of the book of Acts, Paul is going to be imprisoned in Rome. He's going to lose his life. He's now writing to Timothy very near the end of his time in ministry. He's been an apostle. He's been in ministry for over 20 years. And now he takes under his wing this young man to whom he wants to impart these rich, deep spiritual truths. And he's now going to kind of begin that instruction, if you will, in a very personal way. And so he's going to use a phrase here as he begins in verse 15, for this is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptance. He's going to look, in essence, in a verbal sense, Timothy in the eye, and he's going to say, if I could leave you with some deep, deep, deep spiritual truths, I want you to remember this. Keep it real. He is going to use himself in a first person, present tense, very personal way of the miraculous work of the grace of God and the mercy of God. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the great Apostle Paul. Amen? You know, we think of this holier than thou supremely righteous human being that probably in a human standard may very well have been maybe the most godly man who's ever walked on the face of the earth. That's kind of how our mind's eye envisions Paul. For us, when we think on him, we we almost tremble at how godly he must have been. And I'm sure that is true. I have no doubt that the great apostle Paul was a very godly man. But I want you to notice what he says about himself. I want you to notice how he, being an apostle for 20 years now, writing to someone whom he deeply cared about, about whom he was going to hand the keys of the ministry. He's going to go to Rome. He'll eventually lose his life there. And he's going to turn over the ministry to the Gentiles, to this young man. And what he says to him is, Timothy, probably more than anything else that God can use in your life, is your own relatability, your own transparency, your own understanding of God's grace in your life, and the mercy of God that's been poured out on you. Now for me, because I know me, and probably for you, because you know you, this should, this should be like an ointment to your heart and to your mind. Because if God, in his marvelous plan, shows us the weaknesses of Paul, and the faults of Paul, and the difficulties that Paul had, and yet God used him in such an amazing way, then we ourselves get to stand in that same place. We're that same 
raw material that God can work with in a spiritual sense. Clay being fashioned by the master's hand. The marvel of grace and mercy just being poured out into this world through broken vessels, through clay pots, through, through lives that they're not perfect, through lives that have gone through all kinds of things that God never intended for us, through our own example to the world of his grace and his mercy. And I pray this morning you're blessed, you're lifted up, you get encouraged, that we as a church recognize that God can use anybody. And God wants to use all of us. If we'll simply let him work in that gracious, merciful way, God will do great things through your life, no matter what you did yesterday, no matter what your thoughts were this morning. Greater is the grace and the mercy of God than all of my sin, all of my failures, all of my faults. If we repent, he is faithful, he's just to forgive and to cleanse and then to use us for whatever time we have left on this earth. We just need to keep it real. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and ask that right now, God, as you work in our lives, Lord, as you take these words that your Holy Spirit authored and as they are transmitted to us by your Spirit, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, I want to pray for anyone that's here this morning. Maybe they feel defeated. Lord, maybe they've come in and wondered what it is that you can do with their life. Maybe the enemy has kept them bound up in the past. Lord, maybe their hearts have just simply not ever been set free from that old life or the enemy reminding them of what they used to be. God, we ask as we look at this great example of the Apostle Paul that you would set us free unto good works, that we would remember as the same man would write to the church at Ephesus, but God, who is rich in mercy. We ask you to bless your word. Help us to receive it with gladness. Anoint us, Lord, to the plans and purposes for which you've built this church. We bless you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Verse 15 here in First Timothy 1. For this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Notice this, first person, singular, present tense, of whom I am chief, or actually translated in the NIV, the worst. First person, singular, present tense, of whom, if you want an example of a sinner, Paul said, put me as the number one example in your life. Let my life be an example to you of the mercy and of the grace of God in salvation by grace and through faith. Let my life stand as an example to you of the power of God over a sin-filled life that transforms the mind and renews and causes great things to be done with us 
that have nothing to do with us being great or good or cleaned up, but they're simply an example of the incredible work that God does in the life of each of us when we receive his grace and his mercy by faith. Paul says, look to me. Mark me down. Timothy, if you ever want to get into that place where your mind is tempted to think you're unworthy, where the enemy is beating you up, where maybe you're looking back at your past and going, how could God ever use me? Why don't you look at my life, Timothy? Now, I want to encourage you that that is the vast majority of the testimony of the latter half of the book of Acts, how God took this man, Saul of Tarsus, whom was blaspheming God, who was seeking to threaten and to murder the children of God, who was on his way to Damascus to kill anyone who was found in the way, who was seeking to do everything he could to thwart the plan of Christ Jesus to save men from their sin, that same man is this man who now writes. This chief of sinners. This, the same man who spent his life endeavoring to destroy the work of Jesus Christ initially. The same man who falsely accused Christians and had them killed. Now, I don't know all of the things that each of you have done in your life that have flown contrary to God's word. But I'm guessing there probably aren't any mass murderers in this room. Uh, That's just a guess. Maybe there are. I don't know. But I'm thinking if we sought to, you know, list a handful of things that might be a little bit worse than perhaps some of the others, I'm kind of thinking mass murderer goes up on the top. That's who Saul of Tarsus was before the grace of God entered his life and before the mercy of God was poured out upon him. He was a mass murderer. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was not a good guy. And yet, when we look at how God used him, we find the work of God in someone's life whom we all would have looked at him. Well, I understand, you know, you might use Mark, and I, you know, I can understand you using Robin or Daryl, but Paul? Not a chance on this earth that you can use Paul. He's too far gone. You ever had those thought processes in your life with regard to other people? Say, you know what, oh, I can understand, oh, you know, I can see that, but boy, not him, not her. They're way past the grace of God. They're way past the mercy of God. There isn't anything you can do to redeem that person. Are you not thankful for this verse? You see, look on your own life and go, Oh, God, that's how big your merciful hands are. That's how great your grace is. That's what you want to pour out upon us. Now, notice how this continues, and I love this. If you underline underline this whole passage, but there are so many things in here. For however, 
For this reason, notice what? He said, I'm the chief of sinners, but notice this, I obtained mercy. Now notice the reason which is given next, that in me first, before anyone could look at anyone else, before you would have a chance to, you know, perhaps pull out somebody else as an example, before Timothy would turn his attention to anyone else on this earth, the one person who raised him up in ministry, Paul is being so real, he's saying, if you want to look at someone, Timothy, look at the grace of God in my life. Look at me first. Look at what God did in me. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show, I love this, all long-suffering. You ever wondered how big God's graciousness is? And again, this is not an excuse. Please hear this well as a caveat. This is not an excuse to sin, by the way. Paul addresses this a number of times in the New Testament. He actually makes the statement, what then? Should we go on sinning that grace might abound? The answer is, of course not. No, not ever, not in any way. But he's holding up as an example now this pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He said the pattern is Paul's life and the long-suffering that God showed in Paul's life. You see, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, you and I are thinking, instead of the bright light shining on him and him getting saved, it could have just vaporized his ugly, disgusting person. Amen? And you've probably had those thoughts about some people on this earth. I have. I share that with you openly. There have been people, God, don't save them. I totally can identify with Jonah. I am not going there because if I go there, I'll share the gospel or get saved, and I don't want them to do that. I've had those people in my life. You know, those who are the mean, the nasty, the mean-spirited in your life, who've said things, done things to you, should look back on God, don't save them. I'll have to spend eternity with them. You've had those thoughts, I can tell by the way you're snickering. You, you see, it, it is that how, that's how our brain works. But aren't you glad that that's not how God's grace works? That His mercy is long-suffering? That even a wretch like Paul not only could be saved, but be an apostle? Someone who's going as far the wrong way as you can go, not only gets saved, but becomes great in the kingdom of God? You see, this is the encouragement to Timothy. Because Timothy's going to come across this in his time in ministry. He's going to feel defeated. Can I share with you, transparency hurts. Being real is painful. It's not fun. No one likes to, well, you know, I'm just a filthy, rotten scum who got saved. But if we're honest, isn't that true? If we're honest, isn't that true? You see, if we can't understand that, then we really don't understand the grace of God. I am a filthy, rotten scum whom God saved. 
Now, I know that's saying, oh, you're a pastor. By the grace of God and by the mercy of God and because of the long-suffering of God, and yes, I've walked with the Lord for a long time, and no, I don't have any major sin issues in my life, not walking around in open rebellion to God or any of those things, and God is faithful to change and transform, but the fact of the matter is, I am a wretched sinner saved by the grace of God. Still. I am a saint by grace. I am called sanctified, not because of my work, because of His work. We need to make sure we don't ever lose sight of this. Because this is the one area in every one of your lives that God can use to point other people to the work that Christ Jesus can do for them. People do not relate to the perfection of an apostle. Can I share that with you? They don't relate to that. It's not real to them. When you meet someone who's caught in a life of sin and you tell them, well, I haven't sinned in 20 years. And I am so holy, I actually have Shekinah glory that glows behind my head. And every day when I wake up, I get personal letters from God. And when I read the scriptures, it automatically makes sense to me. People can't relate to that when they don't know Jesus. But you know what they can relate to? Man, I remember 25 years ago when I drove off of a freeway overpass because I was so drunk out of my mind. I did not know where I was. And praise God that he reached into my heart and said, Jeff, what are you doing? You've forsaken me. You know who I am. You know that I came into your life. You know you committed your life to me. What are you doing? You see, there's a lot of people that can relate to that. There's a lot of people that look at that and go, God did that? God saved you. God brought you to this place to where the Lord is now using you. You see, it buoys their hope. All of a sudden they're going, if God can do that in you, then maybe He can do that in me. No wonder He's encouraging His protege. And He says in verse 17, And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. He basically gives a doxology. He says, man, look at my life and to God be the glory. There's no other reason for it. There's no explanation for why I'm here today with you as a pastor. But God. That's it. Now, have I endeavored to be well-pleasing to the Lord? Yes. Do I strive to be as sinless as I possibly can? Absolutely. Do I work very hard at being well-pleasing to the Lord? Of course I do. Do I spend a vast majority of my time thinking on the things of God? Yes, I do. But it is all because of His grace and His mercy. It is not because of any great thing I have done. 
but because of him who has loved me with an everlasting love. You see, when I do that, when I keep it real with you, then you keep it real with others. It's uncomfortable at times. It's actually painful at times. But can I share with you, think on your own life, and where do you find the greatest depth of empathy? It is in those things with which you can personally identify. Amen? It's not some ethereal thought process where someone read a book, well, let me tell you how to be free from your pain. If you, step one, acknowledge it. And step two, think happy thoughts. And step three, you go out and go shopping. You see, it accomplishes nothing. But when you sit down with somebody and you pour your heart out to them in, in those depths of the things where you have been insufficient and, and you have brought shame to the Lord and you yourself have had those issues to where, you know, oh man, I'm so not proud of what I used to do. I, I'm so thankful for God's work. You see, all of a sudden, the empathy becomes very deep. Because you understand how easy it is for you to be off the mark. You understand how easy it must have become for that person to be off the mark. And all of a sudden, you are relatable. Someone can go, man, and God did that in you? God worked in your life? And God gave you joy? And God gave you peace? After you were despised and hated by your own family, after you had all those things go on in your life, and, and you were bitter and hateful and mean-spirited and angry, and all of a sudden you actually like people, and you not only like people, you actually love people and want the best for them. God can do that? Yes, God can do that. That's the example that's being set for his for. Timothy here through Paul's words, through the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And he says in verse 18 as we finish this, And this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Now Timothy's not actually his son. But so great is his love for him, he says, you know what? If I had a son, this is what I'd say to him. If, if I could adopt you, I would. And this is how I would speak to you. I love you that much. And I want the best. Yeah, I can tell you having two sons. And now them getting to that age to where it's, I've done my job. You know, I've reached that point in life where I become a little more of a spectator than I am an active participant. There are a lot of things that I have imparted to my sons. That I have alone imparted to my sons. No one else on this earth has gotten that kind of counsel but my sons. Because I want the very best for them. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want the very best for you, so I want to leave you with this. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, now that could be the word of God, and it could certainly be those who have witnessed Timothy's life, and as they have spoken about his life, what an amazing joy it is to watch people grow up in the Lord 
and you literally have the opportunity to prophesy over their life and say, you know, man, I can sure see the Lord using you thus and so. I know God wants to use you. And I see these gifts at work in your life, and as you speak those things into that person's life, all of a sudden they're going, you mean God approves of me? And you say, oh, yes. I can see the Lord's work in your life. You realize when we ordain pastors in this church, all we're doing is saying yes and amen to what God has already done. We're speaking, in essence, in in agreement with God. You've called that person. You've called Mike. You've called Dave. You've called Les. You've called these men to be pastors. Your work's evident in their life. We're saying yes to what God's already done. That by them, I love this, you may wage good warfare. Timothy, it's not going to be easy. Mike, it's not going to be easy. David, it's not going to be easy. Lest it will not be easy. But you have it in you to wage good warfare. You won't be defeated, for greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. For you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. You see, as you transmit the word of God into someone else's life, you then have the privilege to prophesy over that truth in their life. For he is willing to do above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. For mine cannot know nor the ear hear of the great things that await those who love the Lord Jesus. You see, as we study the truth and take in the truth and transmit the truth, we then are able to speak these things into other people's lives. Do you remember when I shared with you this truth? Do you remember when I empathized and I shared with you my own failures in those things early in my life? Do you remember what I told you God did? I now share with you because I see what God has done in my life and I see him doing the same in yours. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For I change not, says the Lord. What he can do in me and what he has done, he's able to do in anyone. It's not about the vessel. It's about the one who fills the vessel. It's not about the size of the clay pot. It's the fragrance that's poured into the clay pot that ultimately comes out through that brokenness. You see, a clay pot will not release its fragrance unless it's broken. Having faith. Notice the combination of these things. Faith. Substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. So author of Hebrews writes to us. Having faith and a good conscience. In other words, I understand the truth and I hold that truth dear and I act on the truth and my conscience is clear because I'm living my life by faith. But that faith is not blind faith. It's faith that's filled with the things of the word of God. That consciousness that I now possess because I know what it says to me. And I can compare what I'm doing to what he said ought to be true in my life. Remember the balance we talked about last week? How we balance that grace and that mercy with the law of God. The standard is high and it's holy. 
But it's interjected into our lives by grace and mercy through faith. And the more of Him I live, the more I can point others to the way that I live my life. That's why Paul could say, I pray that you will be able to use me as an example. I, I pray that my life would stand out in a measurable way, in a tangible way. That other people could look at me and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Now notice, there is a flip side to this. Which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Now most shipwrecks, at least in our day and time, and really most throughout history, are not fatal. But I can tell you what does happen in a shipwreck. You lose the value of the goods that were carried on the ship. And shipwreck is a very beautiful example of our lives when we know the Lord and we do not act in faith with a good conscience. We no longer adhere to the word. We don't do what it says. Our conscience is now marred. It's seared. And we ignore the things that have been spoken into our lives by those who love the Lord. We ignore the plain teaching of the Word of God. We walk away from those things and then we wonder why the rocks have destroyed the ship. Because the compass is twisted. The GPS is off. You know, I guarantee you when the captain of the Exxon Valdez put his ship into that rocky shoal, Alaska didn't move. Canada didn't shift its boundaries and borders. He was drunk and asleep. He did not do what he could do. His conscience was not clear. He could not say with all that he did, I did everything I could to keep that ship off of that shoal. It was uncharted, it was unmarked he ran into something that was very clearly marked. It's a shipwreck. We know where the boundaries are. We know where the dangers lie. The question is, will we stay alert? Will we stay awake? And will we pay attention to the guidance? Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so Paul gives us this beautiful picture, as he's now been in ministry as an apostle for more than 20 years, of this incredible transparency. Can I say to you that it is in fact pride that makes us demand a full understanding before we accept things? It's pride, folks. We think that our minds are capable of understanding everything before we actually believe it. Can I say to you that it is faith that in fact allows you to believe things before you fully understand them? I can tell you I became a child of God without understanding sanctification. I became a child of God without understanding maturation. I became a child of God without understanding remission of sin fully without understanding the ransom that was paid in my behalf. There are so many things that I have to accept by faith, believing that God is who He says He is, and He does what He says He does. 
Paul's encouraging Timothy. He says, you know, you can look at my own life. I didn't understand all these things either, Timothy. Paul did not have the Gospels in his hand when he was on that road to Damascus. Paul did not know everything it would take to be an apostle. Matter of fact, he spent three years in the wilderness hearing directly from God. You see, he didn't know anything other than by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. You see, that's that beautiful picture of the place that we start. And the rest of our lives in Christ Jesus is this glorious journey. I look back and some of the things that bring me the most joy are the areas to where God has suffered long with me. Has just been so kind in my life. Now, none of us are proud of our faults and our weaknesses. If you are, you have a problem. We're not supposed to rejoice in sin. But I do rejoice in the grace of God that's sufficient for all my transgression. For every single stupid thing that I I still cling to at times. That you do too. As I shared with you last night, I've never met a perfect person. Never. And I don't suspect I'm going to before I leave this earth. Lest Jesus should come back and I'm wrong about the rapture of the church and he comes back to wage the battle of Armageddon and I'm here, which I will not be, but then I will meet a perfect person. But that perfect person happens to be man and God. But in the meantime, we all have those issues, those things we struggle with. And Paul says, let's keep it real, Timothy. He says, I'm a sinner. I'm a saved sinner, but I'm a sinner. I'm a justified sinner, but I'm a sinner. I'm a maturing sinner, but I'm a sinner. I happen to also be a saint. That is one who is sanctified. But how are we sanctified? By the blood of the Lamb. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am not sanctified by my own works. I am not justified by my own works. I'm justified by His price that was paid for me. All of these things that we talk about in the spiritual sense have been given to us. I didn't earn them. And I still don't earn them and can't earn them. Would you please lay hold of that truth? When you get to heaven, it's not going to be because you got saved by grace, and then kept all of these things by works. Your last breath will be a grace breath. Amen? Amen. Your last breath will be a mercy breath. Your last thought will be transformed by the renewing of your mind through Christ Jesus as Lord. When you get to heaven, you will have not gotten there because you were good. You'll have gotten there because He is perfect. You see what Paul is saying, don't lose the very best way that you have to share my love, my grace, and my mercy with other people by making yourself holier than thou. I feel sorry, quite frankly, for people who think they have to be perfect when they're around Christians. Now, that doesn't mean that we lower God's standard. Please understand that. 
It doesn't mean that we just accept wholeheartedly sin. We should never accept sin. But what I'm saying to you is, ought we not be relatable? Ought we not be able to say to that person, but for God's grace, go I? Ought we not be able to say, would you use my life as an example of what God can do in yours and wants to? Not that I have arrived, but that I'm on the journey with you. Not that I'm perfect, but I'm being perfected just as you are. Now, I may be a little bit further along the journey than you. But you know, insofar as Scripture says, you know what that means? I'm just simply more accountable. God's going to hold me to a higher standard because of what He's gifted me in and called me to. When I stand before God someday, He's going to say, Jeff, I gave you a church. What did you do with it? Jeff, I put you in full-time ministry in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did you handle that? Scares me to death at times. Now, praise God for His grace and His mercy. Because without any, anybody that goes into ministry thinking that they're ready is just plain not too bright. Because you are never ready to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Never. Because there are glaring faults and weaknesses in each of us. There are things that people could look at and go, mm, can't believe he said that. Can't believe he did that. The only sure that I was like, wow, he's really bad off. But that gives people hope. If God can use Paul, if God can use me, God can use you. All of us. I don't care where you've been. And I don't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is able. We need to not lose sight of that. You see, the cleanup comes after salvation. Amen? Amen. Some people, I have talked to so many people, well, I can't really come to church right now. You know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and... That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is Satan directly speaking to that person and saying, well, you're unworthy, you can't. Man, the church will cave in if you walk through the doors. I've had people tell me that, that they thought the church would start on fire if they came in. Well, if you could only see some of the people already there. That's not why we're here. We're here by the grace of God. We're here in the mercy of God. We're here in the long-suffering of God. We're here absorbing all these wonderful things He's doing to us. We're not fabricating those things ourselves. For by the works of the flesh, no man is justified before God. Nobody. Not me, not you, not Billy Graham, not D.L. Moody, not Paul. It doesn't matter how good a man you are, you're still not good enough to be God. And you need to be perfect to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that comes by being born again through the blood of Christ Jesus and no other way. So the rest of us were works in progress. The rest of us were examples of what God can do. 
I love it when people share with me, man, I was a, I was a crack dealer. I was this, I was that, but God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I, I love this passage. I just want to share it with you. Pick up in verse 4. And again, this is one of those ones you don't have it underlined, marked up, circled, and highlighted. I mean, mine's like 17 colors. I started marking up the ands. Notice what it says in verse 4 here in Ephesians 2. And the context is, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Don't you love that? That's the context of verse 4. Goes on to say how messed up we were. The sons of disobedience. You can see that there in the first three verses. But verse 4, but God. Would you circle that? But God. Now the description in the first three verses is they were by nature children of wrath. Do you get it? The things that you could do on your own, the place that you were going, the way you were handling yourselves, all the junk you were before you met Jesus Christ, and then the words, but God. Now notice what it says. Who gave us all kinds of commandments so that we could keep them who made it so evident that we were putridly wretched and hopelessly lost, and if we identify with that and beat ourselves endlessly, mentally, physically, emotionally, give all of our money to the poor, we stand on our head for 14 years, minimally, someplace in the Middle East, with Jesus saves tattooed on our feet, then we're going to be okay. Do not ask me where that just came from. I have no idea. But that's how crazy the things we think are. I mean, that's the way my brain works. When I start thinking about my relationship to God, there are times, well, I don't deserve that. That's the point. But God, who is rich in mercy, not giving you what you deserve. You see, what you deserve is all that garbage that you can dredge up. It's all that stupid stuff that you've done since you were two years old, and you can remember it. It's the stolen cookies all the way to the horrible relationships and the drugs and the alcohol and the bitterness and the hate and the anger. It's all that stuff but God who is rich in not giving you what you deserve because of who you actually are. Can you remember it that way? But God who is rich in not giving you what you deserve because of who you really are. Hallelujah. Because, notice the reason is given. Because of His great love. Not not because He's holy. Not because He's sovereign. Not because He's perfect. Not because He's just good. But because He actually loves people who are broken and hurt and messed up, and doing the wrong thing. But God. With which He loved us. You realize that loved is past tense? That love and the concept of the believer is before you were ever born. God loved you. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. That kind of love. The agape love that we sang about. It's love without question and controversy. It's love that loves you in spite of you. It's love that lifts you up into the heavenlies in spite of the fact that you deserve to be damned. That kind of love. Notice what it says next. Two very important words. Even when. God's love is not conditioned upon you doing anything. Because it says even when we were dead in trespasses. You see, when I was transgressing God's law, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. If I had taken my last breath without Christ, I would have woken up in Sheol awaiting judgment at the great white throne. That's what would have happened. But God's love is so great that even when I was sinning, He was still loving. Even when I was a mess, He still cared. Now do you understand why it's so important that we are relatable to other people? You can't pull out the holier-than-thou card. Because even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, even when they would have cost me eternity, God was still loving me. How dare the church pull out the holier-than-thou card? How dare we hold high something that is not indicative of the love wherein we've been saved? It doesn't mean we lower the standards. And it doesn't mean that we're any less than our very best before a holy God. And we are to be as He is. But how we relate to people is how I really am. And what He's really done. I need to keep it real. I need to be able to look people in the eye and go, Man, I'm so thankful for God's grace and His mercy. I'm so thankful that He can redeem the lost. I'm so thankful that the work He's done in me, I can say to you, He is more than able to do in you. He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, His unmerited favor. Amen? You see, that's why we must be relatable. That's why we have to keep it real. Because when I get there... There is one reason I'm getting there. The blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all unrighteousness. The cross, if you will. And that cross received into my life, and that price paid for me by God's grace. He's given me His mercy, and because of His mercy, I have salvation. And in that salvation, I will be seated with Christ but not because of me, because of Him. That's why we need to keep it real. We can't make people believe there's some other standard. We can't hold something up there and say, well, you know, 
Yeah, you're still drinking. God can't heal that. You're still in that relationship. Hope you like heat. Pretty sure you're going to burn and fry. Now, before anyone thinks I said something I didn't say, I didn't say that those things were okay. And I didn't say that someone should be in sin and claim the name of Christ. Absolutely, 100%, no is the answer to that. Never. But I am saying that His grace is sufficient to change those behaviors. That His mercy abounds to you as a sinner who is saved by grace. What's your part? To repent and turn from your sin and commit those things to Christ and to receive that gift, that healing that comes when we confess our sin and that faith and just forgiveness of it. Yes, we respond to it, but don't ever think you've earned it. And don't put somebody outside of it. I am quite frankly sick to death of that which says to that person, well, I'm done. Because my Bible doesn't say God's done. My Bible says He's long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My Bible says I got saved by grace through faith. And because of it, I've received mercy. How dare I put a child of God outside of the grace of God? Lower the standards? Never. But there is hope for the sinner. Because greater is our Savior than our sin. I can do that by being transparent. I can do that by being relatable. I can do that by keeping it real. You see, if I really look at my own life and I look at that person's life, I can very easily say, I used to be just like that. And God was able to touch me. God was able to save me. God was able to transform me. God is able to use me. Don't give up on people before God does. And He doesn't give up. You see, it's easier, and I want to just share this with you, and I think that's the end of this passage as we wrap this up this morning. It is easier to give up, isn't it? Isn't it easier to do what comes at the end of this passage? He gives this great doxology that God is the King immortal, He's eternal, He's invisible, honor and glory. And He says there's some of these guys. He's going to turn them over to Satan, but He's not doing that so that they will perish and go to hell. He's doing that so they'll see their sin and repent and be restored. God's heart is restoration. God's heart is that people turn and be healed. God's heart is that no one be like Hymenaeus and Alexander. God's heart is that no one stand in that horrible place of being outside of the will of God as a child of God. Family of God, I have been outside of the will of God as a child of God. I spent almost a decade backslidden. I was a drunk. I was a gambler. I was a womanizer. I was the epitome of someone who 
no way on this earth should ever be a pastor. And that was all before ministry, none of it afterwards. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, if God can heal and redeem that, and it hurts to say those things, it is painful. Because who doesn't try and protect their reputation, amen? You know, most people don't wander around, oh, you know, I'm a filthy rotten scum. (laughs) A vile, disgusting, uh, evil piece of junk. No, especially when you get guys together. Yeah, I can throw the ball 85 yards. And uh, yeah, threw 714 touchdown passes in one game. And, uh, you know, yeah, I went out with Miss Universe when I was in high school. And, uh, all lies. We want people to think good of us, amen? But can I share with you, it's those things that weren't quite so good are the most relatable things to people who are struggling and need Jesus. Amen? It is those things. It's the fact that I used to worship money. I can't tell you how many, literally, thousands of people I have ministered to because of the fact I used to worship money. It's real simple. I can share with them it is the road to nowhere. I can share with them the pain, the suffering, the anguish, the destruction that I brought into my family because of it. I can tell you of the years that I spent not walking with the Lord because my eyes were fixed on the very thing that Scripture declares the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. I can share with people who are right now Troubled because they spend their evenings at the casinos. I can tell you from the depths of my soul what it's like. I know exactly what you're thinking. I know what it is that goes through that person's mind. And I can tell them and look them in the eye and say, the only hope for you is the grace of God. The only hope for you is the mercy of God. And the only way for this to work out to your good is through that grace and through that mercy. I can keep the standard right up here where it belongs. And I can say the way to get there is His grace and His mercy. You see, that's the way God treats each of us. And I I pray, family of God, if you remember nothing this morning, remember from whence you have come. Remember Paul's words. Use me as an example. Sinner, chief of them. Whatever good there is, the glory belongs to the invisible God. Whatever amazing things God's done in your life, the glory belongs to him. Whatever wonderful things might emanate from your life from this day forth, the glory belongs to him. Because only he can do it. So we submit ourselves to his wonderful care, then he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask and think. There are some of you in this room that God wants to use in ways that you can't even fathom. And he wants to show you that love. 
And he wants to do those things with you, in you, to you, and through you, and then into the world. And if my life being an example, if Paul's life being an example, if other lives in this church being an example help accomplish that end, don't we all win? Amen. Let's keep it real. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I first this morning just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your power and your healing and your love and your tenderness and your long-suffering, Lord, with me. And Lord, I believe all of us can pray that prayer. And we thank you, Lord, that this morning as we have received your word, that indeed you have something that you want to do with each of us. And Lord, it's beyond our imagining. And it will be because of your grace and because of your mercy. And we pray that you would do that work in us, Lord. We surrender. We give up. The white flag is up. We recognize that we can't be pleasing to you by our own works. We come to you in humility, Lord, recognizing that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, use us. Make us transparent. Help us, Lord, this day to keep it real so that you would receive the glory and the honor and the praise from our lives. We bless you. We thank you and all God's children said. Amen.